Hi, I'm Wendy Friesen, and I am really excited to be on Rick Flynn's show today because, oh my gosh, there's some things that I'm going to teach you and tell you and hopefully shock you a little bit. So let's have some fun with me, Wendy Friesen, and Rick Flynn. Let's get on with the show. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents... Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hi everyone, Wendy Friesen is with us today. She has been a hypnotist longer than 25 years. She is an NLP expert. I don't know personally myself what NLP is, so I'm going to learn right along with all of you at home or in your car or wherever you are, and we'll find out what that is. She helps clients worldwide with life's big problems, and she helps solve those problems. She is a fun and energetic speaker, and she creates rapid change for life's difficult problems. Wendy at WENDI.com. It's as simple as that. Wendy.com. Wendy Friesen, come on in here. Say hello. Hey, Rick. It's so fun to meet you. It's just really exciting to be on your show. Excellent. Yeah, so hope things are going well for you on your end. Absolutely. Now, I think I've got a live one on the line here tonight. I I really do. First of all, you have been a hypnotherapist longer than 25 years, I'm sure. Yeah, and I was just... uh, totally broke. I had two little kids. I had no money. The IRS man used to come and knock on my door at my house saying, can you pay this money? And things are really desperate. And I started a hypnotherapy school that said, well, you can come for the first couple of days for free. And we'll see what we can do. And then she was really nice through the six month training to let me pay what I could along the way. But that changed my life so much, not just as a business, but what it did for me personally. It was phenomenal the things I experienced in my own, you know, changes in my mind and my body. This was at a hypnosis school? Yeah, they didn't have a lot of them back then um, because this was 28 years ago and most of the hypnotists were these funny old men, you know, they're they're like fat and they smoke (laughs) and they're kind of the watch-swinging character of hypnosis. And when I went to a conference in Massachusetts for the first time, it was mostly a lot of old men who had a lot of bad habits. And I think that what happened is that there was a lot of us that got into this profession and we started changing the industry by bringing a lot of science to it and researching it and sharing with each other, hey, this works. This is the approach you want to use. This is how you change this habit or this problem. So there's a lot of um, like revolutionary process that, or progress that's been made in the last 25, 30 years. Wow. Okay. Now, what state was this in in this school? It was in California. I was near Sacramento. Oh, okay. Now, since that time, you claim at the time you went to school at, at, uh, this was years ago, of course, and you were broke, you said. Yeah, and it was pretty bad. I was depressed for quite a while, and I would lie on the couch most days just on the couch. I did go get my kids from school, and I'd bring them home and do that, but it was pretty bad. The thing that shifted me was 
after every class in the hypnotherapy school, she had us all lie down on the floor and she'd do sessions as a group. And the things that I felt and experienced in those sessions made me hopeful, made me feel positive about my future, made me realize that I didn't have depression anymore. I mean, things lifted so quickly. It was quite miraculous. And it wasn't a quick fix. It's something that stuck with me to this day. Now, you were married at the time. I was not. Actually, I had just gotten divorced. And so I was a single mom with my two little kids that were like three and six years old. (laughs) Okay. All right. So you had two children at the time, three and six. You were broke. But then I heard that later on, you were to go on and establish a multi-million dollar business. I'd like to know what that business was and how you did it. Yeah, it is a pretty good story, and it's a very inspiring one. Um, because when people get stuck and they're in a hole or they're depressed, it feels like you're never going to get out of it, and you might feel trapped that you there's no possible way for you to get out of it. But when I started seeing clients, um, and I just saw them at my house because I couldn't afford an office yet, and so I would see these clients, and they would make big changes in their life from just my very inexperienced, you know, expertise. So I did some work on myself, and what I did first, Rick, was I imagined that I was on a timeline and I had myself relaxed. My eyes were closed. I did my breathing. And then imagine there was a timeline like a path that is my life and my future. So I began taking some steps on that path into that future. And I didn't know what to expect. And I was just going to see what it, where it went, like if I went a year in the future. But along the way on the path, a big wall came up. It was made of this heavy stone and it was really tall and really wide. And that was a metaphor for something that was holding me back. And so I decided to ask that wall what it wanted because I didn't know what else to do. And it wrote on the wall, it says, your father. (laughs) And I silently asked it, what is it about my father that's holding me back? And it said, if you're more successful than your father, he'll be crushed. That made perfect sense to me. I totally understood because he didn't feel that women should be successful in my upbringing. So then I take down the wall, which is a really nice experience for freeing ourselves from some of the block that we have and some self-imposed issues. Did that, went into the future on that timeline, and I went one year in the future. In one year in the future, I was holding a book in my hand that I had written, even though I wasn't an author at that time. And there were hundreds of people that were there looking at me that were so grateful for the work I had done for them and how much they loved how I helped change their life and all this. And at that point, there was just some voice saying, you've made $1 million or more in that year. Well, this seemed really impossible. But guess what? When that year was done... That's how much my business made in that year. I have no idea. It was like $1,012,000. It was almost exactly. And it was seeing clients for hypnosis. Was that the business? It was that and selling online. So my my nephew, this was really hard to make websites back in the day. Um, There just wasn't anything. You had to know how to code. My 12-year-old nephew made me a one-page website, and it had some products for sale that were on cassette tape. And so people were buying those because there wasn't any other hypnosis website at all. People bought those, and they were loving them and stuff. But because of that one-page website, there was a talk show, um, Queen Latifah talk show in New York that they flew me out there to be on the show live. 
They kept me on stage for half an hour. Men's Health Magazine did a multi-page article about my work and on and on. So that's where the business grew in that first year is just because I set something in motion and believed it would happen. And I don't know how we have the power to do this, but we do. (laughs) So Queen Latifah had you on her television show. And I remember that show. Isn't that in the studio, if you can recall it in your mind, isn't that the studio that where she had a basketball hoop and she used to take the basketball and shoot hoops right there in her studio? Do you remember huh. that? Well, or when no? I was on the stage, there there wasn't yeah there wasn't a basketball hoop, um, and she was up in the audience. There was like 400 seats for the studio audience, which is nuts for a talk show. But she was up on top of the audience on the very top row, and I was on the stage by myself. So it was a really different scenario. R- right, you and were not paying attention to the other. Yeah, if if there would yeah. have been a basketball hoop, right. it wouldn't have been in the particular scene or area of the studio where you were. Yeah, yeah. I okay, yeah, I believe. I was terrified. And I, where was this? Was this New York or Connecticut or where? Yeah, New York. Yeah, New York. Yeah. Okay, so Queen Latifah yeah. absolutely uh, helped you then in regard to going from really basically nothing to establishing a successful business. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. And it's more than just what the show brought me in sales of my cassette tapes. But when I was backstage and they were, the assistant producer was putting the mics on and stuff. I said, well, what is it that we want to talk? Where, what are we going to talk about? What does she want me to do? And she just said, Oh, you've done this hundreds of times. You'll know what to do. And I didn't (laughs) tell her that, no, I've never been on TV before. Right. Right. And I imagine I'm going to sit at, sit beside her at a desk and we're going to talk to each other. But I get out there and there's all these cameramen giving hand signals, no idea what they're doing. She's way up in the audience, 400 people, and I'm on the stage by myself. And she introduces me and I had an idea of what she wanted to talk about, but now it was me doing it by myself. So while this little bit was happening and I thought, well, I could either cry or faint or run, maybe. (laughs) And what I did is I put my two palms together in front of me. I closed my eyes for about five seconds. I said to myself, Wendy, you've done this hundreds of times before. You're brilliant at it. They will love everything you say. You've got the audience in the palm of your hand. And I remember that moment because if I hadn't said that to myself, I don't know what would have happened. But it shifted me and I had fun with it. And I was up there for half an hour on that stage. And what were you doing? Solving questions, problems that the people had in the audience that would ask you the questions? Um, Kind of. She was actually asking me questions from up there because she had my book. Remember I said in my future vision, I had written a book. Well, I did. The book was called, it is still called Hypnotize Your Lover. And it's all about using hypnosis to have better relationships, better sex, better connections in your love, you know, matters. Um, So she was asking me questions about that book. So that made it a little easier that I could answer questions about that. (laughs) Right. Now you've written, you've written more than one book now, haven't you? Yeah, I have an addiction freedom book, which is my own journey with my oldest son who was in and out of rehab and how using hypnotherapy for 
drug and alcohol addiction really works. So I have that one. The newest one is I sailed across the Atlantic a few years ago from Spain to St. Lucia, and um, it was wild. Oh, my God. I bought a sailboat. I had a crew of three people, and I sailed across the Atlantic, but the last six days were just the scariest ever. I thought I was going to die every day. Right. We're going to get into that because, uh, yeah, I was told that you sailed across the Atlantic. You claimed that that was a nearly fatal trip for you. Yeah, for When you go in November, you go with a rally of 300 boats, and they said, that time of year, you can sail a bathtub across the Atlantic. No problem. So they've done this for dozens of years, once a year. The last six days, the storms, the squalls, the waves, oh my gosh, it was what we call a following sea. So the waves are behind us. And when they would crash, they would crash down onto the back of the boat. It was a catamaran. So it just crashed. And then, oh, and some of the times all the alarms were going off and it meant that the boat is going too fast. And if it goes too fast, there's danger of it not being able to handle all that stress and breaking. And it just wouldn't quit. Oh, my gosh. It kept going and going. But I lived. <laughs> now, <laughs> how many days did oh. this trip take from start to finish? It was 22 days for the whole trip. And you you had a crew, including yourself, of three or yourself plus three? Right. There were four total, so myself plus three. And I hired them off the Internet, and we had little chats and stuff. And I thought, oh, that would be nice. They seem like good you know, competent people, and they were, but we had some personality issues. A big surprise. <laughs> right. Now, did this thing have a, a cabin on the inside where you could sleep, or, or how did you rest? With catamarans, they have um, cabins down below in the two holes, and they're really roomy. So there's actually four private bedrooms in there, and they're all like double beds, and, um, you know, maybe two of them are kind of more queen-size-ish, and the others are kind of large doubles. So we all had our own private rooms. So that was really nice. All right. Now, you mentioned earlier during your da- during your bad time when you first were starting, you were broke and you closed your eyes, you said, and imagined a concrete wall all around you that you couldn't get out of. I want to know how did you break? Then you said, I broke down the wall. How did you break down that wall? Yeah, and this is a really important point for anyone who's feeling stuck or you feel like there's a conflict or you're sabotaging yourself in whatever area of your life. So that wall represented an issue that I did not understand on a conscious level. And the wall told me, if you make more money than your father, he'll be devastated. The wall said that to me, and it never was an issue that I thought of consciously. I didn't think, oh, I shouldn't be successful because only the boys should be successful in the family. But it was shown to me that the three boys in my family, they were given all the opportunities. They were paid much more than I was in our family business. And I was still really determined to be a success. But that wall was telling me this is an issue you're holding on to. This is the thing that you internalized or that you decided to believe that you can't make more money than your father. And it was a really strange message, but it made perfect sense to me. Your father at the time, I'm assuming, was alive. Yeah, and he was doing well. He did. He was a very creative person, and he started a lot of different businesses that did very well for himself. He was I, a great role model, too. Without telling <laughs> me the everything. name of the business, what type of businesses were they? Was it construction? Was it, was it real estate? What was it? 
Well, it's it's pretty weird. He saw this was when hardly anybody saw a glass blower. Like he was at a fair, and there was one man who was making little glass things and selling them. And my dad had never seen that. And it was there were only seven glass blowers in the United States at the time. So he goes and teaches himself how to blow glass, how to take a torch and make little things out of it. And he taught himself, which is really hard to do. Then he gets a little trailer, he's pulling it with our station wagon, puts all the kids in it, and takes us to some fairs in the summer. And he sets up a booth at a fair, and then all our stuff is for sale, and he's there doing the glass work at the booth. And then one of the summers, he took two of my brothers, and he dressed them up in these really cool vests and bolo ties and put them at the torches. So now there's three of them at the torches making things, and people would just stand there and watch for so long and they bought our stuff and he was making really good money. So he just kept expanding and expanding more fairs. And then he put us in the middle of malls and in a big booth at Christmas in the middle of a mall. And he'd take each of his kids and put one of us, like I was in Edmonton um, in Canada, Alberta in one year. And then I was like in Montana the next year. (laughs) He put us all in the malls and put us in charge. He had a (laughs) very creative way of making money. And your brothers helped him, but your brothers, I'm assuming, actually learned how to blow glass as well. Right, right. We all did. Yeah. And you did not. So your your father said, well, I'm not going to pay Wendy what I'm paying my sons because she doesn't assist with the business, maybe, he's thinking, as as well as the sons do. Or am I wrong there? Yeah, that's not quite it. Um, I did the same work as they did, and I think I was more conscientious and more responsible. But it was just that in his view of the world, men were valued monetarily and in every other way. He grew up on a farm in Canada when they didn't even have like running water. And um, men had a lot more value back in those days. And it wasn't his fault or anything. It's just how it was. And so he was carrying that forward in his life. Um, so yeah, it was, it, and it was great training for me because I learned glass blowing inside and out. And I was taking a lot of responsibility as a teenager. Um, <laughs> it was tremendous. And it has been a gift for me in my life, really. Oh, so you did learn how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I continued doing the glass blowing, like just on my own and having it sold to stores wholesale. And so I had sales reps that took my pieces of art and they would sell them to the stores. And at one time, I think I had 900 stores selling my glass. And that was all because my dad and all the things I learned from him, you know? Well, that's not bad at all. Are you still doing that or did you move on? Yeah, I moved on. Um, There was a point where I, you know, it's a business where I had to sit at this torch and make this glass and train other people to do it and stuff. And it was just finally time to do something else. And then I was going through a divorce then and the business, you know, splitting that up. But that's where the hypnotherapy school came in, which was the biggest blessing of anything in my entire life. Right. Now, you've been a hypnotist for 25 plus years, and you claim to be an NLP expert. N like in Nancy, L. Lincoln, P. Paul. NLP expert. What is that? I have no idea what that is. Well, that's good, because you can learn something really interesting about this. It's called Neuro Linguistic 
programming, and it was created by people who were looking at hypnosis and why hypnosis works and has such dramatic results and effects on people. So neuro means our neurology, our brain, our thoughts, how that connects to our body and our mind and our expectations. Linguistic means the words that you're using, and the programming is that you're going to choose the words you do want and create them as programming. For instance, if I wanted to quit drinking and I've failed a lot of times and I hate going to the meetings and the AA stuff or whatever. So now in my life, I decide I want to quit drinking. But every time I think about quitting drinking, I say to myself, I just can't endure that torture anymore. I just don't have what it takes. Maybe I'm not saying it out loud, but I'm thinking it and repeating it. So this affects my neurology which is the neuro of the neuro-linguistic programming. This makes my body have all the negative emotions running through it, the feeling of failure, knowing that I've failed many, many times. So then the linguistic part is that I'm saying those words saying, I just can't do this again. I can't go through it another time. I just hate all the things about AA and I'm just a loser or whatever. So my linguistics, my words are triggering that neurology. But what we want to do is change it so that the programming part is intentional. So I'm actually um, quite an expert at helping people quit drugs and alcohol. And so what we would want you to do is if you're thinking about quitting drinking, I want your brain to have a new sentence that says, you know, I don't know how, but I am going to be able to do this. I'm going to feel better every day of my life, and I'll see that I actually do have what it takes. You're not lying to yourself, but you're finding with those words the neurology that supports it. So there's parts of your brain that are lighting up thinking, oh, yeah. That's right. I'm really smart. I can do that. And another part of your brain is remembering something else you're successful in. And another part of your brain is remembering how easily you've changed other things in your life. So now we make it the programming. So neuro-linguistic programming. The programming part is that maybe you spend time every day looking at your future. Maybe you want to go a year in the future, which is what I do with addicts and alcoholics. Take them a year in the future and say, wow, look at you. You you did it a year ago. You quit and it was no big deal. You just decided that you like feeling good and being proud of yourself. And you just love what it means to you to live a really healthy and strong life. Now we've changed the neurology and the linguistics and the programming. And doing that by going into the future and changing how you're envisioning the results Um, the problem you've had on the other side of it is a phenomenal way to change everything about your life and your expectations. And that part about going to the future, that is the linguistics of NLP. It is. And it's all, well, it's the N, the L, and the P, because it is the neurology. When you go into that imaginary future, if I was with you, I would be saying, Rick, notice how your body feels right now. If you look back on this from this year in the future, look back on what you've accomplished in the last year, and you feel it in your body, you feel it in your brain, and that pride with every breath you take, you feel so strong, and you're so glad you made this decision. So there's the linguistic part that I'm giving you, but it's affecting your neurology, and in your hypnosis session, you're feeling it in your body, and your cells are changing based on the information that you're giving them, and we're doing the programming because you're in that session with me saying those things. Does that make sense? Right. I can understand where you're going with it. How many people do you believe you have helped stop, and I mean put an end to, their struggle with drugs and alcohol? 
Wow. Um, it's a lot. I don't have a number for you, but it's tens of thousands, if not more. So my program is an online program, and so people could buy it. Um, some of it maybe share it with a friend or something. So it may have reached, you know, really, really far. I know I get emails from people in so many different countries that have done the program. And even though they didn't think it would work, you know, because they failed so much, it just changes things for them. From the very first session, they're like, wow, I feel so different. And and it was interesting, Rick, when I was making this program, I was recording it because it has a whole bunch of sessions um, and it takes you through all these different aspects of your life. While I was recording it, my own brain is listening to what I'm saying with my headphones on. And then about a week and a half later, I opened the cupboard above the oven and there's a whole bunch of wine bottles up there because I love drinking wine. But I was like, what? I haven't had a drink in like a couple of weeks. I just forgot about it. And then like people would tell me their stories. Like a woman stopped me in the grocery store in Sacramento. And she said, oh, my God, Wendy, I have to tell you what happened to my husband. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. Someone recognized me. <laughs> anyway, she said, my husband used your program to quit drinking. And she says, now... He doesn't have to stay away from drinkers because it has no pull on him. He plays bartender when we have guests over to the house because he knows it has no effect and it's not he's not going to drink and it's just not a thing. Where the other way people do it is by going to these meetings and going through all this pain, going to rehab over and over again and not getting the results that make them strong or healthy or feeling control in their life. It really is. The process they use is really weakening you rather than strengthening you. But the stories from people about quitting drinking um, and how it just flipped a switch. It's just something just, that's it. And, and then they go through all the different sessions. But, um, but yeah, something flips their switch. Now, I heard that you can help people, quote, feel sensual and irresistible. <laughs> Now, that is a sexual connotation. If a woman does not feel sensual inside, she does not feel irresistible inside because perhaps she's a housewife, perhaps she's raising three children or more, perhaps it's just not in her even if she's single and has no children. How do you take a normal woman, for example, or man, I don't really think that there's much difference, and make that party feel sensual and irresistible? And I'm yeah. dying to hear this. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a juicy topic. And um, to just back up a little bit, it's why I wrote the book, Hypnotize Your Lover, which isn't just about hypnotizing the person who's your lover, but it's also about us hypnotizing ourselves to feel differently and to get over some issues. So what I started realizing was um, since there was one little link on that one page website that was about sex and hypnosis, I had so many emails back in the day from men who would tell me about their sexual problems and their insecurities and their fears about women and feeling that they're not good enough and all this. So when I wrote back to them in the email, I started writing it as if it's a chapter of a book. And I thought, I'm just going to keep writing really long responses and that's going to be become the book. 
which was interesting because, you know, you take all these men who are really insecure and, you know, a lot of men are, you know, they're just so unworthy feeling or they're not good enough or they won't be lovable and changing what they're feeling to make them feel irresistible. And one of the sessions I have is called Irresistible You, and it's specifically for relationships, but having their mind, first of all, release whatever the reason was for it. So I would ask someone, they're in hypnosis, and I say, I want you to go back to a time where you felt hurt or not good enough or you got rejected. It's just wherever your mind leads you back to one that was really significant, that holds a lot of power for you if you were rejected or not good enough or too insecure. And so then the person goes back and they tell me what they're experiencing. And it's so amazing how these little events in our lives, they lock into our brain and we believe it. We believe they're true and we believe that on a deep level. So once they verbalize it and they express it, we've taken it from like a hidden agenda to something that's known. So now I would say to them something like, well, we know that that's no longer true for you, that you are a good and worthy and really wonderful man. And there's women out there that would love to have you with them. So then I take the person to, let's say, to be mingling in their mind. You're mingling at a party and there's many people there and lots of women. So now I want you just to feel who you're pulled towards who you're really attracted to. Just feel that there's a part of you that knows how to feel the energy of that woman that is there, that you can go up to her easily and feel so natural and feel like you've known her all your life. And so we go through this in a scenario that they have never experienced. And it becomes so good and so irresistible that their mind accepts it. And their subconscious mind continues to support that belief with the experiences they have after that. And then sexually, there's some other steps we do to get people to be irresistible that takes it a little farther. (laughs) But that's the basic part. All right. Now work with me on this. Somebody is an alcoholic, for example. Nothing Mm -hmm. you're going to say to that person, be they male or be they female, is going to stop them from being an alcoholic unless they themselves want to stop. Am I right or do you think I'm all wrong? No, you're 100% right. You're absolutely right. So my job is to find a way for them to have something so compelling and so powerful that they do want to stop. So I'm not going to make them stop against their will because you're right. That is not going to work. And hypnotists who just do direct suggestion, they would go, okay, now to starting tomorrow, you're not going to drink anymore. You're not going to be an alcoholic. You're going to throw away all the liquor or something. That's going to conflict with their inner feelings and their agenda. So first we have to get them to experience something different. And with the um, drug and alcohol work, I do take them into the future. I also take them into a, like if you're walking down this path and I'm describing that you're walking down this beautiful path, it is of your life and every step you take takes you into a little farther in the future. And so go ahead and go a month in the future, a little farther, and now notice that the path split. It's like there's a fork in the road. One part of it goes off to the left and one goes off to the right. So go ahead and take a few steps on that path to the left because that path to the left is everything the same as it is. You're still drinking. You're still hating the fact that you can't quit. It's torture every day, all the things that go through your mind. You know what that path is like on the left. And then I say float up above that and come all the way back to the place where the two paths 
split where the fork in the road is. And as you're standing there, just notice the path to the right. And that path to the right is you being strong and healthy and in control and loving what you're doing with your life. So you might want to take a step onto that path on the right now and feel what it's like. And you notice as you go a few weeks or a month in the future that you're not interested in alcohol. It's not a part of your life anymore. You remember how easy it was to let it go. So take another few steps out into the future, maybe a few months into the future, and notice what you're doing. So now what I'm doing is I'm having them experience what they are imagining it might be like. And I'm not telling them that they have to stop drinking, but they're just experiencing themselves. So now this is the cool part. I say, okay, now float up above that moment on that beautiful timeline on the right, but float up above it and float all the way back to the fork in the road. And as you stand there, it is your decision. Nobody can make you do this. It is all what you want. You can choose the path on the left and still be ruled by alcohol, feel disappointed about everything in your life and just feel that you're crushing the life out of all the opportunities and so on. Or you can take the path to the right and feel that freedom and live your life in a way that you love looking in the mirror and seeing the person you really are, who you're really meant to be. And it is your choice. So when I count to three, you go ahead and take a, take a step on the path, whichever one is the one that you really truly want. So now, Rick, you know, if we put it in that context and they experience both options, there's something that changes in their subconscious that guides them. Not because I told them to or not because, you know, they said, oh, I went to a hypnotist and now I have to quit drinking. God dang it. <laughs> it's just... I mean, I, I tell them, okay, whatever path you choose, and I go, one, two, three, take that step now and feel it. And everyone steps to the path on the right, of course, but it was just, they made the decision. So I think that answers your question, is that their inner mind and their belief system made the decision. Now, honestly, have you had clients that completely blew it and they failed? <laughs> yeah, we have. We have. And it's okay. And, and what say, causes what? that? Are they, they're set in their ways. They're... They're chemically addicted. Uh, they're set in their ways mentally. Is it is it um, heredity? What causes a failure? Yeah, there's so many reasons, and it can be very personal. So we don't know yet what happened in their past that might have created something that made alcohol so important, or cigarettes, or meth, or whatever else. So with the alcohol, there was a woman that I did a session with, and I asked her to go back to a very early time when alcohol was important in her life. Now, I was thinking she's going to go back to teenage years or something. And when we have someone go back into a regression, we don't know where they're going to end up. But I said, go back to something that was a very early time that was one of the most powerful times for you that had to do with alcohol. And she describes this. This gives me goosebumps still. She says, well, I'm I'm a baby, I think, and I'm my mom's holding me in the rocking chair and I'm feeling okay. Everything's fine. And so I thought, huh, that's weird. And I said, okay, just stay right there. Notice how you're feeling and now tell me what happens next. And she says, oh, my mom just put me down on the floor and I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm, I'm really upset. She says, I can hear my mom going to the other room and she's coming back now. And she's picking me up. I can hear it. So now her adult mind is describing this memory that we have opened up from her as a two-year-old. And she says, so her adult mind says, I can hear ice tinkling in a glass and I can smell it. It's alcohol. I don't know what kind, but it's really strong. So my mom is holding me now and I can smell the alcohol and it's okay. I'm not on the floor anymore. She's holding me and rocking me. Think of the connection that happened 
hundreds or thousands of times to her as a child, that smell of alcohol, the sound of it, it locked it in for her to feel safe or comforted or loved. (laughs) And that's why she had such a hard time quitting drinking because alcohol connected with her being loved and being held and feeling safe. Mm, Amazing. Because actually part of what you're talking about, I recall studying in high school and in college uh, when we were uh, talking about author and poet Robert Frost. Remember him and the two roads that diverged in the woods? Two roads diverged in the woods. I chose the path that was less traveled. And it has made all the yeah. difference. All That's the difference. Robert Frost. <laughs> That's what you're that. reminding me. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I was uh-huh. into this years ago uh-huh. in, in academia. They bring this up with poet Robert Frost. But I think that alcohol is something that will kill you. And unless you want out yeah, of it, yeah. there's nothing you or I can say to somebody who's going to walk up to you and say, I'm a drunk. I know it. I, I've been one all my life and I'm going to die one. I've seen these people and you yeah. know what? They do die one. Unfortunately, uh, if I if I see, well, I don't know if you remember on the Andy Griffith show, they had the the. Uh, update (laughs) with Otis. Otis the town drunk. (laughs) And on the update where they had this this special, this television special after all these years uh, remembering Andy Griffith and they rebuilt the set and Andy was there and Don Knotts was there and Otis came in clean and he had he had cleaned up. Do you remember that? The town drunk Otis on Andy Griffith, he came to the reunion and he was not an out. Well, he's always going to be an alcoholic, but he was not the town drunk anymore. He cleaned himself up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the business that they made of, um, getting people off alcohol, with Alcoholics Anonymous, that was created in the 1930s. And all the principles of it and everything they still have with the big book and all that, it's still stuff that's from the 1930s. And what I enlighten people to understand is that, you know, we've come a long ways with brain science and neurology and all the things we know and with the experts in hypnotherapy that we have innovated what we're doing, uh, that we can um, explain it more on a medical basis as well, what's changing. That this, all these beliefs about AA from the 1930s, that's just not relevant now. They, they did what they had to do, was, which was to make some way for people to quit drinking. But the thing is that, you know, for them to say you're an, always an alcoholic and you're always on the verge of relapse and you're just, you know, one drink away from being a drunk or whatever. There's a lot of negative things that they're programming into people's minds that unfortunately causes them to relapse more frequently because the success rate is only 4 to 6%, I think, the success rate um, with AA. And it is a lot of those negative beliefs that you're an alcoholic for life. You're always on the verge and you have to stay away from normies and you can't be around alcohol. But here's like, oh my gosh, this some of the stories from my clients blow me away. So this woman who had drank like, you know, decades and decades, hopeless, failed all the time, couldn't, um, couldn't quit. So we did our work together. And then she told me later, she says, I was at a conference and I was sitting at the bar drinking my club soda with lime, <laughs> just like you told me to. And I was sitting there drinking that. My friend came up and she didn't know I had quit drinking. So she ordered me a whiskey 
in a glass and waved it under my nose. And you know that olfactory thing, Rick, where it goes right to your brain if you smell something and yes, it yes. with all these memories? Correct. She said, when I, when I smelled that whiskey, I knew that I'm strong and healthy and in control, which are the three things we reinforce. And she says, it had no effect on me. It was like, I don't drink. That's all. It wasn't a fight. She didn't have to work on it. And she didn't have to say I'm an alcoholic because I asked them not to have that label anymore. Um, and so I've had so many people say, Oh, this woman said, when I'm in the grocery store on, on the aisle where the all uh, the alcohol bottles are, she says, I want to dance. I feel so free. I just want to dance. She says, the weirdest feeling. So that's what we've transformed it to. And everybody who has felt that they're failing, you know, they got to know that there is something else they can do. She feels free because the weight has been taken off her shoulders. And the fear is gone. You know, that fear of relapse. I don't know if you've ever been to AA meetings or anything, but. It's, it's embedded pretty deeply. No, I've never been to an AA meeting. And to be honest with you, alcohol <laughs> and I have never been very close friends. I, uh, I've never cared for it. <laughs> never cared for it. And yeah, I well, don't recommend you. it. I've seen it kill too many of my friends. Yeah, yeah. I know. Actually, um, just last week, uh, my neighbor in Newport Beach that I used to live next to for a few years, his wife just uh, sent me a message and said he died because he went to rehab and he had a seizure while they were detoxing him. And it does. It There's some very dire effects that it has. Uh, but you shouldn't be hopeless about wanting to quit drinking, you know, for everybody out there listening, because it's it can be done in a way that's not nearly as scary as them saying you have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. You have to listen to sad stories. Remember the neuro-linguistic programming? For 90 days, you're listening to sad stories of people telling you how they've screwed up, who they've hurt. You have to confess all this stuff. And you're listening to this over and over. And the neurology of you is getting into that sadness and that failure and hearing all those stories and you're internalizing it. And wow, I guess that's me. I guess I'm that person. Does that make sense? That that's maybe why people aren't successful at it? Well, I can understand where you're coming from, but it's hard for me to totally wrap myself around it, having never had an, a need for alcohol myself. I understand that people have to have it, and you can be, I've heard, and I personally believe that you can quit drinking, and you can quit for 20 years, but I still think that during that entire 20 years that you've quit, you're still an alcoholic because on the 21st year, if you take a drink, there are people that give them one and boom, they're back on it again. What do you have to say about that? Well, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I believe that the experience you go through at AA meetings makes you susceptible because they keep convincing you with repetition and with stories that are emotional from all the members that this relapse is going to happen, that if you take one drink, you're going right down the tubes. You cannot take one drink ever. And having that fear in you probably makes you want to drink even more. But what I've seen is that, you know, if it works for you, for everybody listening, if AA works for you, great. I am very, very happy to know that and, um, you know, just keep on doing what you're doing. But for most people, it puts them in a state of fear and hearing all those stories of failure, criminal stuff, and losing their family or their kids or going to jail, all of that stuff is being internalized. And it just makes us weak and helpless and live in that state of fear. So what I do is the opposite. And I have, if I have a person go, 
let's say, 10 years in the future. And I'll say, just notice what it's like now for 10 years. Alcohol is not a part of your life. It doesn't matter to you. And if you see alcohol and you see someone else having a drink, you immediately realize that you're strong and healthy and in control and you love who you are now. And it doesn't matter that other people drink. It has no effect on you at all. And so even when I said like that woman at the bar, she smelled the alcohol, which is a huge trigger. And it was like nothing. Another client I worked with on the phone, she told me that in the morning, just to get her body normalized, she had to drink 20 shots of vodka, like <laughs> for like about over a span of a couple hours. Yeah. And she, I was shocked. She said, I'm not, I haven't told anyone how much I drink and the bottles are hidden all over my house. So my husband won't find them, but I drink 20 shots in the first couple hours just to get my brain to, you know, go into a normal state. But she was able to, well, she had to taper, of course, and I do discuss how important it is to do that. But we used hypnosis to help her keep tapering and keep her commitment getting down to none after about five days. Um, but even that extreme, I tell them, you have a problem with alcohol, and it certainly could kill you, but you're not an alcoholic for life. You're not. You're a person who's strong and healthy and in control. This gives them a sense of like, oh my God, I don't have to be this damaged person that destroyed all these lives. I, you know, I forgive myself for the horrible things I've done and I don't have to carry that with me anymore. So that's why we kind of want to get rid of that label. Would it not be wise to inform someone that has quit drinking? Listen, congratulations. We're delighted. You feel better. You look better. Your marriage is intact. Your relationship with your family, your kids is intact. Thank God for you. You're going to be healthier now because of this. Now, don't go back to it. I, you know, what is the right. benefit of having them to start drinking one or two drinks after work at night? I don't see any benefit to it at all. None. Right. So with my work, they don't, they, I don't open that door. I don't tell them that they can drink at all. Um, and I'm not telling them they can't. What I'm doing is creating such a powerful mindset and a belief in them that they don't want to. They just aren't going to because they're not going to give up what they have now. So another man, this one is the best one. He, he says, he's like 45 years old. He says, I'm a fat slob drunk. Everyone knows I'm a fat slob drunk. That's all I am. I have been, you know, since I was a teenager. And so now he's in his 40s and he says, I drink a case of beer a day or more um, every day. So we did the work together and over a period of about a month and several sessions, we did the work together and he let me know. He says, I, I did the session at home that's about a year in the future. And at a year in the future, I'm an athlete. And he says, I'm not an athlete. I'm a fat slob drunk, by the way. And he says, but I was an athlete in this future vision. I've never done anything athletic my whole life. This makes no sense. And I said, well, let's just see what happens. Don't worry about it. Just kind of leave that there. And then it had been about like two weeks since he had completely quit. And he says, strangest thing happened today. I opened my fridge and there's beer in my fridge. There's a six pack of beer. I hadn't seen it. I didn't even realize it was there. Every time I opened the fridge, it didn't matter to me, I guess. So I just didn't even notice it. And he says, so I, I opened one of the beers and I poured it in a glass and I looked at it. It had no power over me, no effect. I didn't drink it because why would I want to? So he's coming from a mindset that isn't like, oh my God, this is going to destroy my life if I drink this. Instead, it was like, huh, that has no power over me, has no effect. But here's what's interesting. The one year in the future that he was an athlete, he starts training 
for Iron Man. This fat blob drunk becomes an Iron Man. He has traveled all over the world doing the full Iron Man competition and even the elite Iron Man competition. That's what he has been doing for the last 15 years because of our session. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, uh, that's mind over matter. He f- saw himself in that role and he took himself down that path. Yeah. I think that's what life is about in general. If you want to be a good husband, if you see yourself in that role and you love that woman enough, you will do so. Yeah, yeah. And it is doing the programming to yourself instead of the destructive things that a lot of people say to themselves. You know, you might catch yourself after listening to Rick and I talk about this for the audience out there. You might catch yourself with some pretty negative statements that you're just saying automatically to yourself and unconsciously. Like you were talking about love and sex and stuff. And maybe you, you know, you're a woman and you see some men that are interesting to you and, and immediately your brain says, no, nah, they wouldn't be interested in you. No, nah, you're not hot enough or, you know, they, you don't have what it takes or something that's negative from our past. And so we sabotage ourselves by perpetuating those negative beliefs. Right. Well, I'm going to tell you one, one of the most difficult experiences that we will all go through is how men peak sexually at 18 and women at 40. (laughs) Now, oh, I'd like to change that if at all possible. I don't know who thought that up and I'm not going to put anyone or any entity down. But if I had it within my power, boom, they would be peaking both genders at the exact same time. Am am I on to something yeah. here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Isn't that crazy? I know, that's I, crazy. Why are we that way? Why would we? That's yeah, right. And that's, that's something that's well, not you know, for you or I to, to determine. Figure out. All right. Yeah. Before I let so, you go, dear, starting, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We got six minutes. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So one of the things that started me on the path of the love and sex stuff with hypnosis, I told you that men were sending me emails asking me sexual questions because I had that little bit on my website. So I got an email from a man that said, I want to learn to hypnotize women for sex. Money is no object. And the email address didn't indicate who he was and he didn't put his name on it. And I was going to click the delete button. And I thought, no, I want him to know more about him. I want to know what's up. So I corresponded with him back and forth a few times. And I thought, huh, what he wants is to feel loved from what he's describing. He thinks that sex, as most men, sex is going to make you feel loved, but you want the deeper love. You want the part that is, I know I'm good enough and I'm accepted and I'm loved. So he um, is from a royal family, a ruling family, rather. His is called a ruling family of a very big Middle East country. He flew me to Europe to meet with him for five days to work on his self-esteem issues and some of the things happened when he was a little boy and all kinds of things. It was amazing. But even at that level, he's got billions of dollars. He's got all the jets, everything he could possibly want in his life, and he doesn't feel loved. Isn't that that interesting? No, that's a true statement, and that could be anybody. Marriage and love is not about money. I'm telling you, it's just not. I've seen too many millionaires that were hated people. Hated. Yeah, and that's what his deal was. He he just felt unlovable. 
Right. I mean, yeah. I applaud them for working to obtain it. But if you're walking on people at the time you're making this living and treating people incorrectly and with no respect, you deserve a lot of the problems yeah. that you're going to go through. I wouldn't want to be around you either. Right. Yeah. Really? Ladies, <laughs> ladies yeah. and gentlemen, yeah. Wendy Friesen is here with us today. <laughs> www.wendy. W-E-N-D-I. That's how you spell Wendy. W-E-N-D-I dot com. <laughs> and boy, isn't that the domain name to have, girlfriend. Wendy dot com. Yeah, and that's your 12-year-old niece or somebody that got that for you? Oh, my nephew. Oh, yeah, your nephew. Yeah, yeah 12-year-old. <laughs> All right. Built me a little website. Yeah. Boy, yeah. that is great abs- talking to you, Rick. This has been so much fun. Oh, it has, and that <laughs> the time has flown by. I am not an expert, ladies and gentlemen, in hypnosis. I'm not going to claim to be. I didn't even know what NLP was until Ms. Wendy Friesen told me what it was. So I've learned right along with you. She has been on the Queen Latifah TV show. She's been on Fox and Friends. She's been in GQ magazine, Men's Health magazine, the Washington Post, which by the way, is not a bad paper. They wrote you up and Financial Times did a story on you. You claim, Wendy, that is that you say you can help the people create the life they love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's what it is about. Bottom line. If somebody wants yeah. to contact you other than the website that I've just named, which you can't forget that. Wendy, W-E-N-D-I dot com. Is there another manner in which you would like them to do it? Or is the website fair enough? Yeah, on the website, send me an email. And if you want to do a private consultation, we can work that out as well. Um, so there's there's lots of things we can do from there, but start with the email. Yeah. Okay. And feel free to pour your heart out and ask me questions. <laughs> All right. Before we get out of here, what is the most unusual thing that a person has asked you to do that you help them out with? Oh, boy. Oh, um, or one of those things. So Let's put it that way. One of yeah, them. One of those. Yeah. So one was a uh, woman, a young woman, she's only like 20 years old. She lost her entire leg in a motorcycle accident and she had very bad phantom limb pain. So she's feeling all this pain. And so I had to go through the accident with her to get rid of some of the really horrible things that were happening in the accident. And she even saw a woman stop by the side of the road and was holding her leg across the street. Um, so I worked with her on stopping her phantom limb pain by getting her brain to accept that her leg was still there. We had to like rebuild the phantom part of the leg and tell the brain that the nerves are all good. They're all in good shape and they're healing right now because the brain didn't know how to send the message to the leg that it's healed back to the brain. If she had, you know, a cut or a surgery or something, when your body's healed, it sends a message back to the brain that everything's done. But anyway, we did this work together and her phantom limb pain went away after three sessions. And I've done this with several people who have phantom limb pain and it keeps working every time. It's just a little mistake the brain's making because it's trying to heal that injury. 
because it never got the message that it was healed. That's one of them that I, oh my God, I'm so, so proud of discovering that. Well, Wendy, thank you for, at the very (laughs) least, educating me in a topic I really don't know about. But I will tell you this, I'll be quite frank with you and say that two roads did diverge in the wood. And I chose the one that was less traveled by, and it did make all the difference. I can definitely tell you that's a true statement. Thank you for the education and for everything you've done. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you to Wendy Friesen. At this time, we're out of time. Wendy, I think it'd be a good idea if we just had you say, good night, Wendy. Good night, Wendy. There we are. Ladies and gentlemen, www.wendy.com. That's all you need. Wendy, W-E-N-D-I.com. And that is the website of Ms. Wendy Friesen. She is a speaker, an author, a hypnotherapist that you may have seen on the Queen Latifah and other TV shows. Thank you, Ms. Friesen, for your time. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our special guest today, Wendy Friesen, have a great evening, everyone. Good night. Good night, everybody. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.